The SpeedCafe.com podcast is brought to you by Morris, the official finance partner of Speed Cafe. Speed! 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 Speed Cafe! Speedcafe.com. Your daily racing fix. Check it out. Speed Cafe. <laughs> Hi there, race fans. I'm Mark Fogarty, and this is the Speed Cafe podcast. Two big weekends of racing coming up. Formula One in Austin, Texas, and MotoGP at Phillip Island. And then next week, the Gold Coast 500. Joining me to discuss all that and more are Speed Cafe's new and highly credentialed editorial director, Andrew Van Leeuwen, our supercars writer, Danny Herrero, and our Formula One editor, Matt Koch. Starting with the popular Surface Paradise Supercars Street Race event, the big news is that the chicane tyre bundles have been binned. About time, I say. OVL, your take on this? I'm just not sure I agree, folks. I just love the imagery of those cars climbing over those tyre bundles and, you know, getting that massive hang time that we used to see with the Gen 2 cars bouncing through that chicane. And the tyre bundles actually did play a big role in that because the cars would actually climb up and and over them. So I always thought just from a, a spectacle point of view, they really did add something to the show. We've seen them try to not use tie bundles before, and it tends to create even more questions over what is and isn't allowed through that uh, chicane area. But I also take the point that, and I think this is something that is the major issue is that there are concerns over how these gen three cars will handle the bundles. Can they hit them as hard as the old cars could, or are they going to cause uh, a whole bunch of damage to these rather expensive front bars on these new Gen 3 cars? So I see why they're doing it, but I don't know. I think the event's going to actually lack something from having those tyre bundles there. Yeah, but they'll still be too wheeling through the air. Not like they used to, I don't reckon. We'll see, but I, I, I think that they used to actually go up on the curve and then bounce up over the tyre bundles. I don't think we're going to see the hang time that we used to see. Well, we will see. So, General Herrero, I've always thought the tyre bundles were very primitive and they're now relying on the electronic sensors on the curbs. Tried that once before. Is it going to work this time? I'm sceptical uh, as to whether it'll work. Yeah, we've, I think back in 2011, they tried to use those little floppy bollard things and take away the tyre bundles then. And it, it didn't work then. It remains to be seen if it's going to work now. Um, I think they just need to, in an ideal world, they wouldn't have the sensors either. They just have come up with something that's self-penalizing that wouldn't destroy the cars either. Maybe that's those inner curbs. I don't think they had those in 2011. If you have the higher sausage curbs in behind the primary curb, hopefully that um, makes them two-wheel enough and that gives us a spectacle and also costs the driver's time if they're too aggressive over the curbs, but I think we're going to see all sorts of dramas with uh, with laps being cancelled and, and potentially time penalties for uh, breaches in race this weekend. That uh, next weekend, rather, sorry. Yeah, well, well, that'll be good. Bring it on. As much monkey business as, as we can have. And, yeah, those parts of the track are the most spectacular. So if there's hazards going on, great. Now... This all speaks to track limits and Matt Kosh. That's a big issue in Formula One. How do we control it here? 
how do they control it in Formula One? Yeah, it is. I guess I bring a, a slightly different viewpoint to this because I don't follow the ins and outs of supercars the way you guys do. But the, the, the damage stuff interests me because if they're going to be damaging bars, well, aren't they going to be potentially damaging suspension and all that sort of stuff? If I've got questions over how the bars are going to hold up, logic for me follows that there's questions about suspension. So bouncing over the curbs in itself is is a risk, isn't it? So what are you actually minimizing or reducing but also the underlying point here is it's poor circuit design because you've got a circuit that you can easily abuse and there is no natural penalty for track limits and we see this at a couple of venues in formula one the red bull ring the final complex there uh, is prolific for that we saw that this year there was over a thousand laps in the race uh that were adjudicated on there we saw it at qatar as well now there it's a little bit different because it's typically corner exit where drivers are pushing the limits trying to carry the speed through the corner and having laps particularly in uh, in qualifying deleted but also in Qatar I think it was Carlos Sainz had a lap deleted for cutting the inside of uh, of a corner the apex uh, track limit the difference in formula 1 is that those circuits are usually designed with MotoGP or or motorbikes in mind as well so you've got a different profile of of curb there so that's one explanation for that but in formula one you've got a judge effect on every point and we get a list of every lap time that's been deleted there is a timing page timing page uh three off the top of my head that gives you every time a driver breaches track limit you get a notification there so it's transparent it's clear it's as immediate as it possibly can be within reason but it is still an issue it is just an actual issue with uh with motorsport and, and drivers pushing the limit but the difference for me is in supercars you don't particularly at the gold coast you don't have to design a circuit for motorbikes so why don't you put a couple of sleeping policemen in there or those sausage curbs that uh, that daniel was referring to yeah but Just, matt uh, it's a very uh, old circuit and i think this speaks to a lot of this track, open wheel track legacy track limits yeah it, but it's still oh, going to be homologated. I, it's got to be safe, and it's got to it's got to be punishing and whatever. You know, just put some sausage curbs in there, and if they want to rip machinery up, let them rip machinery up. The bosses will soon tell them off. Uh, you don't need the track to to necessarily punish them. I um, think that I think the tie bundles would have worked um, quite well with these cars for that. I think you could actually do without the sensors and just have the tie bundles because if they are going to punish those front bars, you could even set them back a little bit and just that is the track limits. And it's it's exactly what Daniel said before. We need circuit design where track limits isn't an issue because it's not faster to abuse them. You will damage your car or you will lose time or whatever. So, you know, I, I would always say leave the tie bundles there let the drivers assess how much risk they want to take and how much risk they want to put their car at by uh, throwing the car over those tire bundles. In terms of your point about the damage, Matt, I guess um, the suspension can handle those cars going up and down to a pretty large extent. They can, they can handle a pretty rough landing. Um, The bars are obviously a lot more fragile and that's what they think is going to get torn off these things uh, as they bump over them. Obviously they don't have as much structural integrity because they don't have the big long under tray at the front anymore. So they do tend to break a little bit easier, but I just think do away with sensors. The sensor thing is going to be messy as well. So, you know, there's a new system now where the drivers will get a, a warning on the dash if they've activated the sensor. But that's only in practice and qualifying where they'll lose their lap. In the race, we're going to stick with the old system, which is actually where race control keeps the number of allowed 
um, shortcuts secret so that it can't be used for strategic gain by drivers. And they can also then tweak. So if they say, right, we're not going to let drivers have any more than eight uh, infringements and, you know, every driver in the field has seven, 10 laps into the race, then they go, okay, we maybe need to reassess what we're doing here. So they can actually tweak it on the fly. So I think there will be some drama um, in that as the weekend goes on. But the other thing is like, I just hate this track limits talk. And it's, it is obviously, a, we're lucky we don't have it that much in supercars. It's a much bigger problem in Formula One on these big tilty drome circuits with all this runoff and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I still never quite understand the argument because like when you go watch a football game, the ball's either in or out. And if it goes over the line, it's out. And there's no argument. No one says, oh, it only went over the line a little bit. Like, why am I, why does the game have to stop and someone gets to throw the ball in? Like, and that's it, just and, how it and works. That's right. That's just how it works. Like, and the funny thing is all these F1 drivers saying, oh, well, it's so hard to judge and this and that. But when there's a dirty, great gravel trap on the edge of the corner, they get pretty good at knowing how far wide they can go without skidding into it. So obviously, you know, there's that instinctual hunt for grip that race car drivers have. And if they see all this expanse of tarmac, they just can't help themselves by trying to use every little bit of it. But I just find it such a bizarre thing that there's even question marks over it. Like, yeah, you drove outside the limits of the track. Like, you can't do that. Yeah, I think it seems pretty basic. All right, continuing back on the supercars theme, there's lots happening. And where are we at with the parody saga, which is just about killing me to death and everyone else? But are these changes going to happen for Gold Coast? Um, yeah, look, I, I think that the aero changes are going to get through. There's a sort of feeling in the Ford camp that that's pretty much a formality. So they had to resubmit the entire proposal to supercars. They couldn't just basically rehash what they did before Bathurst because they had to include all the Bathurst data. So that was all evaluated. That has gone back into supercars ahead of the deadline for that, which was Monday at five o'clock. That's now... Uh, as we record right now, sitting with supercars, uh, the proposal doesn't just cover off the aero changes, which is that, you know, the different front bar and the, the modified rear wing and repositioned rear wing. But there are a few little engine software bits and pieces in there as well. Less clear whether that will get across the line, but um, the aero stuff, I, I would be very surprised if we're not seeing most, if not all of the proposed changes implemented ahead of the Gold Coast, which is like hilarious because we're going to the Gold Coast in Adelaide where aero doesn't really matter and it probably won't make much of a difference but i think we're going to see the changes anyway yeah but as usual we're hearing nothing from supercars i mean the void in communication is staggering well it's good for us folks that's why we have the phone numbers of very important people to go and uh, find all this well, information you say that andrew but no I, I don't agree the fans deserve better and they're being cheated on information much less the teams. It certainly hasn't been a good look the way this thing has played out in the last couple of rounds. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And I think that there are lessons to be learned about uh, communicating these things, as you say, not just to the wider audience who definitely deserve to be kept, you know, up to date with what's going on, but even supercars understanding its own rules and processes and what it can and can't promise manufacturers and teams, you know, when it comes to making these changes, that was obviously a pretty big mess leading into Bathurst. Well, we speak to the fans. We're the conduit for information and that conduit is blocked. All right. 
We're heading to Surface Paradise. It's going to be critical for the championship. That battle, who do we see coming out? Brody Kostecki or Shane Van Gisbergen? Daniel Herrera. I think at this point in the time that's got left, I can't see Brody Kostecki being run down. It would take a, it would take something remarkable. It's what 131 points. So I I think off the top of my head, if uh if Brody just finishes fourth in these last four races, then he's uh he's got it sorted. So yeah, it, it's definitely with uh with him. And I think importantly for him, he's um well, we'll we'll have to see how Triple Eight approaches it because uh Certainly, Brock Feeney's in some good form as well. For Brody Kostecki, he'll have a clear priority in uh, in the Erebus camp, and for for reasons obvious. So yeah, I I, I can't see him getting run down at this stage. But uh, but stranger things have happened. Indeed, it'll be all go. But in the meantime, we have the ongoing Supercars calendar saga. Seriously, it is tiring. Give me a call, guys. Newcastle, on or off? I'm going, going off this, for Dan. 2024. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think it's off for 2024. I think there was some uh, some interesting comments that we picked up um, on Wednesday morning from uh, the New South Wales Premier. Really, you know, uh, seems a bit flabbergasted that the Newcastle Council isn't jumping at this offer of, you know, some, the funding being in place to run the event next year. But... I think it's just getting too late and Supercars is going to have to make a call. Um, and obviously the Bathurst Council is now involved trying to push this this big festival of motorsport, um, which uh, Dan was reporting about last week. And um, I think it's going to be off. I think these comments from the Premier today maybe makes me think, is there hope for it to come back in the future? But yeah, I think for next year, I think we're going to Bathurst, not going to Newcastle. I, I think it'll I think it'll be back. The... Um... It's an interesting one because if, if essentially Newcastle Council is stalling so that they don't have to make a decision that annoys uh, one set of constituents or the other, but um, even if it doesn't happen next year, uh, yeah, for next year, then there's no reason yet to give up on it for 2025. It just becomes an interesting timeline again because local council elections in New South Wales are September 2024. So the 2025 calendar is probably going to become a live issue again as they're uh, campaigning to try and retain all of their seats and uh, in the case of the Labor councillors, potentially jockeying for a pre-selection for a a state seat if the uh, Newcastle MP does end up resigning uh, due to uh, a corruption investigation that's going on at the moment. Yeah, well, Daniel, you've been all over that for weeks, but honestly that we haven't got the first round of next year's Supercar Championship locked in is, I don't know. Okay, let's move on. And in other news, Scott Pye has been signed by Triple Eight as an Enduro co-driver for the next couple of years. And ABL or Daniel, I put it to you, that's pretty interesting because back in the day, 10 years ago, Scott Pye was uh, managed by Roland Dane and was set for a superstar future that, well, never happened. Yeah, I think that's, you know, th- there was obviously when when splits like that happen, it's awkward, you know. I would imagine that, you know, these things get personal at some point as well. But, you know, what this shows is that race teams mean business when it comes to results. Scott Pye was always going to be 
the number one draft pick in terms of uh, the as in terms of enduro drivers for next year, given the fact that he is, you know, a very fast professional level race car driver. Um, and Triple Eight has gone and done what Triple Eight does, and that's you know sign the absolute best, even if there is perhaps lingering personal awkwardness. I don't know there is, but even if there is, I think that this is a sign that you know they don't really care about that. There's a few interesting things here. So this is a two year deal that's actually a one plus one because you know the team uh, they're not going to hold Scott to any sort of contract if he does find a way to get back into a full-time seat for 2025. And the other thing is that, you know, what happens if Shane does suddenly find himself available for Bathurst next year, you know, is Jamie going to step back if he needs to, um, or is this just the ultimate sign? I mean, I'm not expecting Shane to come back next year. I think we saw it with Scott McLaughlin that when the focus gets shifted to something new, um, it has to be all of the focus, particularly if you think about the learning journey that Shane's about to go on, but it's just a, it, it will be interesting. And, uh, you know, it's a question I want to put to Jamie is what happens if Shane is available? Do you, will you step back from driving? How, how is this actually going to work? Well, I'm sure he'd make room for him, but as you suggest, the likelihood that Shane Van Gisbergen will be available for Bassett next year is limited. So, yeah, but it's an interesting one because with Triple Eight, you know, they've signed Will Brown to fill in for SVG next year. He was another one that I understand was offered to Roland Dane, who didn't take up that option. Hmm. Well, that's my understanding. Uh, it may not be right, but it's it's interesting that things change, don't they? They do. It, it, Will Will Brown is uh, is an interesting. I know that there are a lot of people that uh, that rate him quite highly. There's some that um, some close to the team that he's at at the moment that suggest that he's actually naturally quicker than. Brody Kostecki, who is leading the championship at the moment. So, um, and obviously they were, they were neck and neck for quite a while there. And it's all kind of fallen apart in the last few events uh, ever since the announcement, actually. Um, so yeah, Will Brown, I mean, they were left in an interesting position given the, uh, the timing of uh, Shane's departure to NASCAR after they thought they had him locked away for next year, at least. Um but yeah, Will, I mean, Will, he's, I guess he's shown when he's coming up that he knows how to uh, put a championship to bed and uh, and seal a title. It's, um, I guess it's interesting what he'll think of uh, his predecessor's comments at Bathurst and then what uh, Peter Addison had to say off the back of that. Uh, welcome to the team. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't think Will Brown's a bad signing at all. No, no question. But, well, you have to question, is he as good as Brody Kostecki? Hmm. Big question as we as, as we move on. Okay, Matt Kosh, bring you back in. Formula One, we're back at the United States Grand Prix at Austin, Texas. Matt, is it just going to be more of the same? Well, more of the same. You mean that surprise Red Bull victory that no one saw coming? Um, yeah, <laughs> that's the one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think Red Bull will have it on a string uh, tomorrow. Football term this weekend it'll be interesting to see who's second and ultimately that's where we have to turn our attention to because red bull has just decimated the field this year and you look at 
the circuit of the Americas layout and the first sector, that should be all Red Bull. You look at the back end of the lap and that should all be Red Bull, given it's, you know, sort of high tire deck, low speed stuff. It'll be a case of who's next best. McLaren, I think they'll fall away a little bit. There's too much low speed content there. Mercedes, that's been a little bit up and down as well. So it'll be interesting to see where they fit. Ferrari as well has been up and down. I mean, it's not a Circuit of the Americas isn't a direct comparison for something like Spa, although there's some similarities there. There's similarities with uh, with Silverstone as well, but there's more low speed stuff, and that's where I think you know, the likes of McLaren will drop back, and some of the others will will come to the fore. There's a few teams that have got updates as well. Haas has basically got a whole new car this weekend, so that'll be interesting as well and uh yeah it's going to be a massive weekend i mean this was the biggest event uh not just of the year last year but in formula one history it had four hundred and forty thousand people over the three days i mean melbourne took four days to pip that by four thousand people this year so it's uh it's going to be a banger of an event and uh, the start of a really busy period because we've got five races in six weeks and this is the start of a triple header as well so there's there's no rest between now and the end of the season no but Max wins again. Is this killing interest in Formula One? Potentially in the short term. I put this question to Stefano Domenicale earlier in the year. Uh, where having a dominant driver you know, dwindles interest. Certainly among the hardcore and probably everyone listening to, to this podcast will be considered among the hardcore motorsport fans. But in terms of a general viewer yeah, they tend to tune in and tune out they don't follow it day in day out so having a a dominant driver isn't necessarily a bad thing i mean you know, when michael jordan was dominating basketball people still tuned in and watched the chicago bulls um when tiger woods was dominating golf the casual fan myself included would tune in and, and watch what he was doing there so there's also that value to it but in terms of of what we do and the interest that we're seeing, yeah, it does hurt. You know, you think back to 2021 and you had a ding-dong battle for the championship that, you know, people still argue over. It's still contentious. Uh, and it's fabulous because you had two very different personalities, two very different philosophies, and we don't have that this year. You don't have an us versus them. You've just got a max. Um, but I think in five years' time, we'll look back on this through different, colored glasses and accept it for what it is in that you know we look at that period of lewis hamilton that's perhaps a little bit too recent but that was an incredible period that he had same with michael schumacher and ferrari in in the 2000s and we look back now on these areas of greatness with with awe it's just being in the thick of it now it's difficult to to take that step back and accept that a driver that's perhaps not your favorite is absolutely the class of the field with no rivals anywhere near in sight. No, indeed. Formula One does move on despite domination and cherishes its hero. So anyway, this weekend, Daniel Ricciardo is back. What will he do? Well, speaking of heroes, um, I, I wonder if he'll ride into the paddock on a horse again. He did that last year. <laughs> I think he credits that as one of the most embarrassing moments he's had in his Formula One career. Um, but yeah, he'll, he'll be back. That's going to be, uh, interesting. He's had what, five races out. He had two races in 
five races out and now he comes back for this last run of five races to the uh to the end of the season the Alphatari has changed a little bit so it'll be interesting to see what his feedback on that is like because it's now starting to look towards 2024 and all the changes they're making now are designed to inform next year's car so his feedback to the team will be important it'll be interesting to see what he says to, to us in the media as well how he copes as well will be interesting because it is still a comparatively aggressive return for him in terms of the timeline from the Dutch Grand Prix crash that he had you know breaking that hand how that's recovered it's still going to be painful in the car you know does he have full movement all those sorts of things uh, and how's his fitness because he's not going to have been able to do the same type of training that he's done and then I said in the pit talk podcast earlier in the week what expectations can we have have of him because he hasn't had the time in the car he's still learning the team yeah he's had some time with it at Singapore and simulator sessions and whatever but he's still learning Alpha Tower he's still new in the team the car has changed as I mentioned before what what can we really expect of him it's probably nothing you know, we want to see him on par with Yuki Tsunoda. Um, I likened it to preseason testing this last run of five races where the results are almost extra to everything else that's happening on track because it's all about gathering that data and the team getting itself sorted for next season. It's not looking at qualifying or getting into Q2 or the finishing result on Sunday. This is getting to the start line of the 2024 championship now in the best possible state that it can, because it's going to finish last in this year's world championship. There's pretty much nothing they can do about that now. Okay. Well, you and our other formula one correspondent Ian parks will be all over it on the weekend. And as we wrap things up, of course, we've got MotoGP at Phillip Island, always an event, a spectacular and our resident expert MotoGP is Daniel Herrero. So, Daniel, back to the island. What can we expect? Yeah, well, uh, we're just talking about the Formula One title battle. There's uh, there's no shortage of a contest in the MotoGP title fight at the moment. Um, a big battle going on between two of the factory contracted Ducati riders, which always makes it interesting, Francesca Bagnaia, the 2022 champion, and uh, Jorge Martin, who's at uh, Pramac Racing, which, strictly speaking, is a satellite team, but is basically the second factory team for Ducati. So they're separated by 18 points. They swapped the lead amongst themselves back and forth. Last weekend at Indonesia, Martin looked like he was about to ram home his advantage in the feature race on Sunday, and then he crashed out of the lead. And uh, Bangnaya came through and won it from 13th on the grid. So... We'll keep an eye on that. And also, just if uh, if last year was any guide that uh, MotoGP raced at Phillip Island, we are in for a, a ball terror again. It is one of the possibly the very best motorcycle track in the world. It put on a great show last year. And uh, this year, this weekend, well, we're probably going to get rain to spice that up as well. So that'll be very interesting indeed. Yes, of course. And don't you just love Daniel's? Daniel Herrero's very precise pronunciation. All right, guys, we've wrapped it all up. Formula One, supercars, MotoGP, it's all happening in the next couple of weeks. And, of course, it'll all be covered on speakfa.com. That's it for now. 
I'll be back late on Monday with all the latest breaking news on the Speed Cafe newscast. In the meantime, full coverage of all the major racing action around the world at speedcafe.com. And don't forget Gary O'Brien's Grassroots Racing podcast featuring entertaining all-rounder Barton Moore. I'm Mark Fogarty. Thanks for listening. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production. 